0: That's John, chapter 4, verse 21 through 24. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, The hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So, again, talking about worship today, Uh, it's really been on my mind for weeks, honestly. It's been on my mind for weeks. Uh, Me and Michael even was doing a, a... We're trying to get our podcast stuff up and running and we we touched on this for a good while the other day And he and I both said this this needs to be a whole a whole show really Um, But it's been on my mind a lot but first Let me give you a little bit of background about the introduction of worship in the Bible The first time the word is mentioned in the Bible which is not really the first time worship happened Worship has been happening since before the fall even Adam and Eve in the garden before sin. Worship was happening when Abel offered a better sacrifice unto the Lord. So this is not the first time worship was, has happened. But it is the first time that the word itself is mentioned. And it's actually when Abraham went to offer Isaac in obedience to the command of the Lord. He told the, his, his countrymen that were there. He said, you stay here and I and the lad are going yonder i love king james way of communicating we're going over yonder to worship and when we stop and think about that honestly that right there is already setting such a a different tone for worship than what i will just say the the the, you know modern world thinks of when we think of worship now the next five occurrences of that word in scripture helps set a more full picture of worship. Because actually the next occurrence of the word worship is something that we can all really relate to. Abraham's servant had been sent, or maybe it was Jacob's, pardon me for for, for forgetting this, this morning. I've much studied the weariness of the flesh. And I have been reading and studying stuff like crazy, so I literally have things running together in my mind. But a, a servant had gone to basically find a wife For now I'm wanting to say it was Isaac or Jacob. Okay. Um, Obviously it wasn't Abraham. We know that would be wrong. Okay. Well he's praying. And he's praying Lord when I get there. You know. Would you send out the one that it's supposed to be. To draw water from this well. So he's got a prayer. That he's been praying. And sure enough. She comes out and he talks to her and, and, and really his prayer was answered right there before his eyes. And it says, and he bowed his head to, toward the ground or to the ground and worshiped God. Now, so that's a that's level of worship we can all relate to a little bit more than the offering of Isaac. And so the next occurrence of worship, actually I don't know what exact order that these are in. But uh, it was again when the man was delivered out of what he was... Uh, you know he was he was in fear so to speak and he was delivered out of this and he worshiped god and of course when the children of israel were delivered out of egypt and they got across the jordan river they all as a congregation as one big uh, group of people all I, I think it'd been so amazing to see us sometimes i wish video cameras could have been around back then because you know everybody would have been using one too like look at that red sea parted, you know uh they all, a million people, 1.6 million people estimated, bowed their head all at one time and worshipped. And eventually they sang a new song. Um, but when we see these acts of worship, well I will say this. The first six times it's there, and every time is accompanied by an outward act, they all bowed. They were all bowing and some it literally says and bowed their face like to the ground and i think it really means like they went plumb down to the ground on their knees all the way to the ground at other times i'm sure it's this and you know when we say when we ask god's blessing over the food we do that because the bible says you know uh, it it teaches that precedent Um, but we bow our head that's an act of worship every time we're bowing our head and with God in our mind, that's an act of worship. And when we bow our knee and when we get down to pray, that's an act of worship. And that precedent is definitely set there. But the word worship is also interesting. Now, we're seven 800 years down the line from Abraham. And we're also several hundreds of years down the line from the word, the the. the Creation, so to speak, of the word worship. The word worship is not 3,500 years old, but it's an old English word that was used to encapsulate what they were doing. And what the word really means is, what I'm getting at is now we use it sort of the, the, the broad scope that it once meant has really been narrowed down now. Anytime we use the word worship, we use it in a religious sense, in a God word sense, and that's probably a good thing. But it really hasn't always mean, meant that. Worship comes from this old English word that was worth, worth, ship. The quality of being worth, worth something, worthy, valuable. And it was actually spelled with a e originally. And so originally, if you broke it down, it was actually woe, W-O-E, then R-T-H, which was, it gave it two qualities. And then ship, which means in the state of being. But the woe part is really the deepest root of the word. Because it's this whoa, you know, woe. Like, with that word in the Bible, the W-O-E, it doesn't just mean what we mean. Like, whoa, dude, that was so cool. You just, you know, did a flip on your bicycle. No, it was like woe awe inspiring, and it was also woe Fear-inspiring, woe-trembling. And so that is really, when we think of worship, that's what we need to think of at the heart of that word. What that word is trying to encapsulate for us is woe. Like, in the deepest sense of woe, awe. awestruck wonder, the song. But also, a sense of fear. Now, I don't think that the Bible teaches this fear in the sense of being afraid of terror of god however like when katrina and i were at niagara falls and the power of that waterfall was you could feel it rumbling in your body once we got on the boat and we're heading up into this mist of the falls which is really more like blowing rain just pounding you in the face and you're yelling at one another like this is so cool because i mean you can't hear it's the power is amazing and the volume is amazing and when we were there it was like whoa in a sense of this is amazing but it was also like whoa stop the boat don't go any further because we may die and so it was a fear and a sense of a respect it makes you feel really small it makes you realize that you know one wrong move here and i'm in i'm in serious trouble And so, let's move forward here. Worship, ascribing worth, ascribing what something is truly worth to it. That is at the very heart. I mean, go home and do your Bible study on worship and you'll see what I'm saying. It is at the heart. It's the epicenter of our relationship to God. In fact, I would say without worship, you don't have a relationship to God. Not the true God. If you have what you think is a relationship to God and there's no worship there, then that's not the real God that you have in mind. True worship is at the very core of our relationship to God. In fact, if we think about the first command, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, that's really a command of worship. What he's really saying is, Thou shalt worship no other god and then, in fact, if we look at the two tables of stone, what they call it, you know, the first four commandments were about God and man. And the second or the next six commandments were about man dealing with man. But the whole first table of stone, the first four commands are really about worship. And really to even fulfill what they sum up, those first four commands, Jesus sums them up in this way. Well, he really is quoting from Deuteronomy. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Guess what? That is worship. That is what that is. When you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, you're worshiping God. That is what it is. You could really say the definition of worship in the religious sense is a heart, mind, soul, and it's a total person. It's a total being. It's everything that you are in light of everything that he is, and you basically, now from the heart matters, from the mind matters, from the soul, worshiping in spirit and truth. All of this matters, but it's you realizing and acknowledging and confessing and appreciating the truth of the grandeur of God. Now, like I said, um, the reason I told you guys today, we only use worship in a religious context, but that really wasn't always the case Uh, And in a sense, you're going to see that when you have a true love for someone, you are ascribing worth to that person. Now, you're not necessarily worshiping that person because when we think worship, we think bowing down. And that is how we worship God. But it's going to come in later where I'm just trying to help us to understand more fully what worship really means and what it is and what what we want cuz it's a big deal, you know? It's a big deal. When the Bible says the Father seeketh such, such true worshipers. That's what it's saying. The Father is seeking true worshipers. And then it says, then you must. It, it's a must. This is not an optional thing. It's non-negotiable. It must be in spirit and truth, or it's not true worship. Anyway, when we begin to unpack that, you're going to see that we can learn a whole lot about how to do this and fulfill that by thinking about our relationships with people. But let's look at the the, the sentence For a minute. The the father seeketh such to worship him. As I was studying on this and really part of the time reading it, part of the time praying about it, part of the time meditating on it, I thought, you know, I think most people, if you've got much age on you, you've realized at this point, all men (laughs) worship something. All men who have ever lived, we are in in a sense, we are created to be worshipers. Now, in one sense... The mind of man takes that in a negative. Like, come on, there's more to me than that. But no, actually, that's one of the highest possible things that you can do. To even have, now think about this, follow me for a minute. To actually have the ability to truly worship God is a gift. It's a gift. It's one of the highest things that humanity can do. We look at it wrongfully or some do wrongfully at times as though you know worshiping God is like a low thing and it is in a sense you're you're bowing in a sense your heart and your mind and your will to something greater than you but what i'm saying is the fact that you can perceive and appreciate something greater than yourself is a gift animals do not have that Animals do not have the ability to worship truly like people do, and so God has given us what I believe is a great gift: to be able to worship, to be able to ascribe the true worth to our Creator, to be able to see and appreciate and have affection, true affection in the heart toward our Maker, and that it can be reciprocated. Worship is a gift, and there's—I mean, there's just no, there's nothing higher really that a human can do. Than to truly worship. I mean, I'm struggling to get the words to in, in my mind here that I'm that to express what I'm trying to say. But no man has anything greater, any greater moment in life. I'm saying, as far as him, even, when you see a man who is truly in true worship, Abraham. When you see Abraham in a true Worship of God—it's like that, that there's a man right there. That's that's the kind of man I'd like to be like. It's one of the highest things you can do, is what I'm saying. Now, this is this—if you don't know what the word narcissist means, uh, just bear with me. But God is not a narcissist, and I put that here because the Bible says the Father seeks such to worship Him, and I have listened to a lot of debates through the years over. The existence of God, the nature of God, and all that kind of stuff. And oftentimes these people who are in a condition of unbelief are basically attacking God, like, oh, your God's a narcissist. All He wants is to be worshiped. But God is not a narcissist, and that's why I was explaining to you a minute ago that worship really means a little bit something different than what we have in our mind. In this think of it in this sense. Have y'all ever heard of love languages? I don't remember how many there are, what, four or five love languages? I don't know. That doesn't matter. But worship, in a sense, is the love language of God. Now, if, if, if God is a narcissist, then we all are. We all are, which he's not. And this is how I, I think about this. You know, my wife tells me often, at least four times a week, she'll say, tell me something sweet. And I'm like... Why don't you let it come naturally? <laughs> it's going to come. Just, you know, I say sweet things all the time, you know. And she's like, it doesn't have to be anything big. Just tell me something sweet. Now, she does not mean worship me. Okay? She doesn't mean that. And it wouldn't be right if I said it in that way. But what she does want to hear is, what am I worth to you? What do I mean to you? And you know what, guys? We want the same thing. We don't go about it like tell me something sweet, but if our wives have just basically ignored our existence for a month or so, we're like, what's gotten into you? But what we really mean is, hey, I thought we were buddies here, you know? Do you not see the value of me anymore that I go to work, that I'm providing, or that I'm protecting, or hey, I love you, you know? We want, we want this reciprocated in our relationship. Now, like I said... Because of the nuance of the word has changed through the years, I want to be careful. We don't, we don't ask one another, worship me, no, you worship me. It's not about that. But what we do want, to, we all want to feel this. We can admit this, and it's not sinful. We all want to feel like we're worth something to those that we love. One of the worst things that you can say to a person is you're worth nothing. You're worthless, you're worth nothing, you're worth nothing to me. And because worth is at the heart of of this word, worship, we can begin to understand, no, God's not a narcissist any more than me saying, what do I mean to you? And here's the thing. We, as humans, we can look at that and realize and understand, God really is a person, and we really are in relationship with that person. And in a sense, worship is loving on God. That's really what it is in its most simplest boiled-down form. Loving on God. You know, Katrina and I went riding yesterday down at Buck's Pocket State Park. Beautiful place. Beautiful. Don't ask Bobby Joe about it. (laughs) But, for the other three of us, great experience. Beautiful place. Beautiful scenery. And as we're riding down through here, I look back at Katrina and I said, I'm sorry I'm going to say this a lot today. But, how awesome is God? And how awesome is this. This, you know, these this God made this world, man. And, you know, we want I want to be careful. Because I, I absolutely love planet Earth. I think it's just so cool. I love rivers. I love mountains. I love streams. I love wildlife. But there's a verse in Romans that's pretty easy to gloss over if you're not careful, and it says, They worshipped and served, they worshipped, they worshiped the creature. The creature is all of creation. The created things. Now how many of us would walk up to the rim of Grand Canyon and go, whoa, and that's right. But you should add to that, whoa, God is an awesome God. Because in reality, the Grand Canyon is just a giant scar on the face of earth. But when you take it in, when you look at it, you feel so small and it seems so big and one wrong move and you're dead and the beauty of it. And it really is beautiful but when we walk up there we don't want to worship the creation more than the one who made it is what i'm getting at and so we can all relate to this how often do we look at a sunset or a giant beautiful tree the general sherman tree largest tree in the known universe how often do we look at something that is created and we actually give a tremendous worth to it we say that is amazing that is beautiful that is incredible that is powerful But honestly, guys, compared to the God that made it, it's nothing. I mean, it's nothing. And what I want us to try and gear our minds to, and to where it's not superficial, because superficial worship we'll get to is disgusting to God. In other words, false worship where you're like oh man this is so amazing oh wait i'm supposed to say god is amazing too oh god is so amazing no we don't want it to be that way where it's a there's a check valve in here that's like oh you're not supposed to do that say it this way and then you're good no it's because just saying it that way doesn't make you good it has to be here and so understanding the truth of this word man that's why i spend so much time on the reality that we're created we are created beings In God's image, not even that long ago, and the earth is created. And how much grander is the creator than the creation? So much more that when it really sinks in, it will naturally flow out of you to see something and say, praise God. Praise God. The amazing God. The all-powerful God. The all-knowing God. The omnipresent God. It will just naturally, you'll, you'll be worshiping in spirit and in truth. But we can understand, think about it like this. Well, there is nothing more worthy or more valuable or has more worth. There's nothing that even compares to God. And so when you are, like if my wife says, tell me something sweet. And the only thing I ever say to her, which most of the time is my mistake that I do, okay? The only thing that I ever say to her is something that she does for me. Oh, you're a good cook. Well, come on now. That's, you know, that's how it benefits me. Oh, you know, you do this. Or, oh, you do that. That's about me. It's actually about me. It's about what you provide me. But, you know, something in spite of me and irregardless of me, she has a tremendous worth. But even our worth compared to God's worth. Is incomparable. It's incomparable. And so it's in my mind, here's what I'm trying to get at. Very I'm doing a terrible job at it. If God did not expect worship, he would almost be in the wrong. You know, if he was like, No, don't bow to me. They would be like, wait, wait, what else can I bow to? It's kind of like Peter said when Jesus said, Are you gonna go? Uh, Somewhere else too, Peter says, to where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. If God said, don't bow to me, I would say, to what can I bow but you? I mean, I would be in the wrong to bow to anything but you. You're so much higher than everything else that calls itself God or calls itself great in this world. Let's look at the next part. Actually, it's not the next part in the flow of the verse, but it's the next part on my sermon. It says, they that worship him must, must, must worship him in spirit and truth. We we need to unpack that for a minute, but if if it's not in spirit and truth, it's just not worship. And I, I know this to be the case. And. I don't want it to be the case with me, but at times I also know that it has been the case with me. And I don't want it to be the case in this church, but I'm sure at times it has been the case in this church. And so when I say there are many churches today that are gathered, but they're not worshiping, I'm not really throwing them all under the bus. It's just something that I want us to stop and think about and take some time on. if it is not worship in spirit and in truth and i'm going to unpack that a little bit what that means but if it's not that it's actually idolatry which i believe is why the last verse of the last book in the new testament before revelation is Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idolatry. And it's like, now wait, John, you just said you was writing to the believers. You said that. You said, I have not written unto you because you do not know the Father, but because you do know the Father. I have not written to you because you don't believe, but because you do believe. Now keep yourself from idols. What? And so worship that isn't in spirit and truth, it's actually idolatry. Well, what what does it mean in spirit? Notice it's a lowercase s. It's not a capital S, which distinguishes it from, is it talking about the Holy Spirit or is it talking about your spirit, so to speak? And when it really says to worship in spirit, I believe that this is the case, and if anyone has something to add to it, okay, I'll hear you out. But it's actually not that simple. It doesn't mean in some out-of-body experience to where I don't even really know what I'm doing. That's not in the spirit. That's not what that means. What it really means is in the sincerity and depth of your heart, in your inner spirit, in your inner man, that the worship needs to be true affection. You know, again, I'm going back to me and my wife, but if she says, tell me something sweet, and I just rattle off something real quick, she's like, no, you got to mean it. So, yeah. And so I'm like, okay, well let me give me a second here. Let me get my heart and mind in the right place so that I can say this with the conviction that you need to feel, okay? But <laughs> now, I'm just, you know, giving her a hard time this morning. But it's a great illustration. And so if I just rattle off something to her like this pre-packaged little sentence that I just say whenever she asks that, it, it's, it's empty. It's not in spirit, is my point. But when I'm feeling it, when I mean it, when it's radiating out from me, and it's true, and it's it's at my heart, it's it's like, no, Lord, I do love you. I'm not just saying, Lord, I love you, but I do love you. That's in spirit. So, a false worship—I believe this is true. I can't give you a verse necessarily, but a false worship is as bad as a false doctrine or a false teaching. And we spend a lot of time preaching against false teachings and false doctrines and trying to set the course straight. But guess what? A false worship is just as bad because a false worship is actually, like I said, idolatry. And so think about it like this. The true worship, the true affection and feeling and all this coming out of me, but for the wrong God, that's idolatry. So true worship, but for the wrong concept of God, is idolatry. But also, the false worship for the true God is idolatry. What I mean is, even if you have the true God in mind, the God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even if that's what you have in mind, but you are basically worshiping in such a way that wasn't, it's actually taught against. There's actually types of worship that's taught against. There's types of practices that are taught against. But you're doing it in that way, that's also idolatry. Because even though you're acknowledging, in a sense, this worth and this tremendous value of the true God, what you're also simultaneously doing is saying, but I'm, also, I'm pretty close to him, I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to worship my way. I'm going to create my own way. And so not actually submitting to that true God that you have in mind is idolatry of self. Now, it's a complicated concept, I just said, and I could honestly unpack that for 30 minutes. It's really kind of hard to grasp that in the beginning. But most people's God is themselves. Most people accidentally confess that when they say stuff like, Well, if I was God, I would this. It's like you've already got a bad concept, buddy. Cuz you already think I would do better. I would do different. And even thinking I would do different than God here means you don't understand the perfection of God and your imperfection. And so most people's god is actually themselves. And so when when here in this passage Jesus says the true worshipers that immediately infers or implies that there are false worshipers. Because he, is, he doesn't ever say false worshipers, but he's saying God wants these kinds of worshipers. In other words, not these. So the false worshipper group is there in context. But the question is, what does it mean to be a false worshipper? Well, it doesn't mean that they're not worshipping. They are worshipping. It just means they're not worshiping in the way that they're, that He wants them to. It can either be false in a sense that it's not really from the heart. It's ritualistic. It's empty. It's dead, and we'll get to that. Or it could be that they're worshiping in this way that they have imagined that they want to worship. And some, I mean, I don't want to go into too many details, but y'all know a lot of the stuff that happens in some of these churches that they call it worship. And it is worship, but it's not worship in truth because it's not worship of the truth of God. And it's more of a worship of perhaps the song or the stage or the sound or the artist or the whatever. And so worship is easily misplaced and misplaced worship is idolatry. And so when he says the Father is seeking true worshipers, that tells us this, that the false worshipers are messing up in at least one of two places, if not both. Either... The act of worship is wrong or the object of their worship is wrong. The God that they have in mind is wrong or the actions and the thoughts or whatever that they're doing is wrong. And so let me take just a second again and open this up so that we can get this right because it is a huge deal. And I I mean, it's a huge deal. And it's not just that it's a huge deal. It's a very common issue. It's definitely common in the way that I grew up. So there's really two Types of worshipping in spirit, but not in truth. And we're also going to look at types of worshipping in truth, but no spirit there. And so, worshipping in spirit, but not in truth. That, in a lot of ways, is the way of the world. If you think about other religions, do they worship? Well, yes. I mean do Muslims not worship yes they certainly do they throw down the prayer cloth and turn toward Mecca three times a day and pray and then a lot of times they'll die for their faith believing that it's true but it's actually lying so they're worshiping in fact they're more zealously worshiping very often than the true Christian believer But all at the same time, it's absolutely meaningless because it's void of truth. And so it is idolatry. But all of the religions of the world worship, but they're not worshiping in truth. They are worshiping in spirit, though, and that's my point. They are worshiping in the sincerity of their heart, but it's completely misguided. Well, guess what? I mean, that's happening in churches today, too, all over the country. There are people who are worshiping in the true depth and sincerity of their heart, but not according to truth. Not according to the true God or not according to what He has laid out for us. is true worship. I think about... Let me say it this way. I'm not saying, because I don't even think it's possible for you to fully comprehend all of God. I, I don't think that that's possible. Not in, in this side of eternity. But to fully to comprehend God to what God expects you to do, well, obviously that is possible. Or he wouldn't... Expect that. So there's a certain amount of understanding that God has given us that we have that ability to do. But people often think, and please don't make this mistake, but people often think, well, it's the way I think about God. Let me be mean and nice here at the same time. The way you think about God is meaningless if it's not the true God. The way you think about God is meaningless if it's not the God of the Bible. Now, I'm not saying anyone here has that. Just don't do that. Don't think, well, I like to think about God in this light or this light. That's fine as long as you've got a scriptural foundation to do so. But let me tell you, it's not fine to just say, well, I like to think about God as a woman. No! Not fine. Well, but she's still all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present. No! Not right. So we can't just say, I'm just going to think about the higher power when I pray. That's also not right. Because higher power is way too ambiguous. God has revealed Himself in the person Jesus Christ to the born-again believer. And so we don't just get to say karma, fate, destiny. The universe has smiled upon me. Never say such things. Never say that. But many people do think that they can just sort of think up what they want God to be like, and then worship that, and it's wrong. Think about it like this: If if I said to Katrina, "Tell me something sweet," and she's like, "Well, you're sure handsome," I, you know, just bear with me for a second here, okay? This is what she would say, okay? tall, blonde haired strong I'd be like, yeah, green eyes who are you talking to? I'm not green eyed. If she's standing there, if I hear her saying oh he's so handsome, he's tall, he's blonde headed, strong, I'd be like yeah she's talking about me and he's got green eyes and I'd be like now my feelings are actually hurt because <laughs> she's not talking about me and she's saying that somebody's tall and handsome and blonde and strong and it's not me and she dismissed the green eyes which are actually blue now that's a funny illustration but think about it God has revealed himself to the fullest that human minds can understand it right here in this book and when you start saying well I want God to be green eyed when perhaps his eyes are brown really in the fullest we can't comprehend the depth of the Trinity and that God is a spirit but we try to and in that sense If you do not worship God as a trinity, you got it wrong. That's a deep thought, I know. I'm not saying all at one time, every time. But we worship Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And if we don't do it in such a way, we really have the wrong concept here. And so in a way, the details do matter. And so you can't, my whole point to that is just to say, you can't just get out and worship this thing that you think is God but you have no reason to think such now we all to an extent are kind of driving our minds towards grasping God but we're doing it from the Word of God that's my point I'm not saying that every time I bow down I can fully visualize God I can't but the parts that have been clearly revealed to me here that is what I think about when I'm praying or when I'm worshiping or whatever okay so I rambled on with that one God is personal Sum it up like this. God is personal. And we all the time talk about a personal relationship to God. God is a person and He is personal. But our definition of God is completely impersonal. We do not get to define Him. We have to discover Him. Discover, not define. Okay. Second, this is another way to worship in spirit, but no truth. Is worshiping the right God. You actually have the right God in mind. Got the right eye color and everything. But totally the wrong way. And there is precedent for this. Nadab and Abihu were priests in Israel. And they went up there and carried out a worship ceremony in a way that God told them don't do it. And it's called strange fire. That they took fire from the brazen altar or whatever when it was supposed to come from a different place. And they was just going, eh, it's fire here, fire there, let take this, it's all the same in the end, right? Nope. God struck them dead. They just died right there in front of everybody. And they were Aaron's sons. Aaron the high priest. It was his sons. And it hurt Aaron bad. And Moses had to go and console him. And Moses says, this is what God was talking about. You do it this way, and you don't do it that way. Because that way is not... Still honoring God in your own way? No, that way is actually dishonoring God. This way is honoring God. Any form of disobedience is not worship. Okay. So, worshiping in spirit, but the actions itself, the this way that you have created to worship is wrong. And even you know, I mean, all we got to do to look for application to this. Well, what does that? Just go back and read some of the Old Testament of what israel did in worship at times that god said no no don't do this Cut yourself and bleed on the altar jump that's the way of the pagans oh but we're so we so we want to worship so much we want to shed our own blood for you i don't care that's sinful don't do it it's not worship i don't care how much zeal and fervor is there not worship not worship of the true god okay so, just like God is personal, but He's not personally defined. Worship is very personal, but it is also not personally defined. We can't just say, I'm going to worship God this way today. However, like I said at the start, worship does cover many, many, many forms. And I quote the late Michael Leavitt, worship is a lifestyle, and it is. But any type of disobedience, no matter how good intentioned you are, it's actually not worship. It's not honoring to God. And so I will say, just to give a clear example, I told Katrina I was going to get in trouble today. There's a big difference between emotionalism and worship. The difference is so huge that the difference is the God. When emotionalism and human experience and sensation and an emotional high and an intellectual high is your what you're worshiping, you will get this feeling, and it may feel out of body experience, and you will go home just as empty as you came, and you will need that every time you go to church, and you won't think church was good unless you got that, because there's no real food in it, there's no real substance in it. It's purely the worship. Of flesh and flesh feelings now to unpack that again that's a whole other deal that I could go on about for a long long time but there's a fine line between worship hoping to get this feeling and get this something and actually worshiping the true God when you do worship the true God with all your heart mind soul and strength I tell you something: it's very emotional It's very humbling and you will find yourself on your knees in an altar but there's a mimicry of that too that had nothing to do with the true god and they find themselves on their knees in an altar too but they're worshiping something totally different and unfortunately unless someone helps them or god gives them eyes to see they don't know the difference they cannot tell the difference between worshiping and experience and worshiping God. But the difference is huge. So worship is very personal. It's very personal. But it's also very impersonal in the sense of we don't personally get to define it. We don't get to say, this is how I'm going to do it. That's how I'm going to do it. We don't get to say that. We discover it. We, d- we discover, not define. I say that often, but we discover, not define. And lastly, and let me beat on this dead horse here for a minute too so that I get all my grounds covered. Because that was two forms of worshipping in spirit but just void of truth. But this last one is just as common if not more common in a way and just as I believe this is just as disgusting to God as the other. And that is worshipping in truth but no spirit. Ascending to the truths and the true doctrines of the Bible. Acknowledging The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Alpha and Omega. God became flesh acknowledging all of the truth of it. And even teaching the truth of it. And there's no spirit in it. No heart. No true affection for the true God that you speak about all the time. Doesn't stir you. Doesn't move you. It's as dead as a hammer. And I know that it's disgusting to God because in a lot of ways, the Pharisees, now they had some things wrong, but this is what he said to them. With your lips you draw nigh unto me, and with your mouth you worship me, but your heart is far from me. And it was to them who with their lips drew nigh unto God, and with their mouth professed the truth of God and worshipped, but their heart was far from It was them that he said was blind guides and hypocrites and whited sepulchres and poisoned cups. It was them. And so it's real easy for us, or for me sometimes, to get on this whole, really, you know, imitation spirit in the charismatic church and really talk about that. But guess what? There's a whole other side of people over here who are gathering on Sunday, sitting in the same seat they've been sitting in for 15 years. Coming up and singing. Saying a closing prayer. Dismissing all that. And God was never worshipped once. From their heart. It was pure ritual. And that is disgusting to the Lord. I mean I know that it is. And so. Says every time I scratch my head like this, it's because I'm getting nervous, you know, or I'm getting some anxiety or something. So now I gotta start paying attention to it. Um, my whole point today is to encourage you to think about two things first and foremost, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and the Father. There's nothing more worthy of you loving on than that. There's nothing more worthy than for you to thank for everything in your life. The good and the bad. Lord, thank you for the poverty that's going to help me in some way. It's going to correct me in some way. Lord, thank you for the blessing. Thank you for the gift. Thank you for everything. There's nothing. There's nothing. Listen, Christian men for sure, and I'm not calling y'all out, y'all are my friends, but man, the men need to open their mouths and worship. Like true from the heart, worship. Let her fly, so to speak. Praise the Lord at times. Walk out. I mean, I did I, 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 not I, just because I've been studying this. Okay, I'm not taking my own morning here. But last night I just walked out, and I just felt so moved, and I said, "Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for you." And I think Christian men need to set an example of worship for their <laughs> for their families and for the church. And, So open your mouths and worship. Think about it, man. God has said, I'm seeking true worshipers. I'm seeking, I'm looking for them. I want them. That's the people I want. And that's what we want to be, a true worshiper, a true worshiper. So my main point today is encourage you to worship. To take time. Very, very often, daily. At times, bow and pray. At times, bow and worship. God, I thank you. I thank you that you're my inheritance. I thank you that you sent your son. I thank you for this love that, I, that you pour upon me that I can't even comprehend. Lord, help me to worship. Help me to, to give that back. Because I sure love receiving it. I love hearing his mercy endures forever. That his grace will lead me home. I love hearing that stuff. And I know that my God loves hearing. I <laughs> thank you for that. I appreciate that. How can I better serve you? I know that God loves to be worshipped. In fact, in the Bible, it's depicted as this uh, sweet fragrance that fills the air before him. Or incense. Worship is depicted that way. It pleases the Father. So, let me encourage you to worship. And number two... If you feel like you don't necessarily understand maybe something I've said, the spirit and truth part of it, or you you would like to increase your understanding of worship, I encourage you to get in the Word and study it. And of course, I'd love to answer any questions that you have. But what you never, ever, ever want to do is be guilty of false worship. Because that is idolatry. So I'm done. Uh, Does anybody have anything they'd like to say, a testimony or anything like that?